please. Yeah, two, two things I wanted to mention. Number one, uh, you are part of the tier one. Uh, Scott mentioned these several tiers. The arch, the the thousand bus initiative is tier one. Secondly, because he's the CEO, had nothing to do with Santa Cruz being part of this effort. Uh, it was your general manager who called me and said, "We've heard about this. Can we be involved in this?" and it led to that, but Scott had nothing to do. It's actually a pleasant surprise. So we're here to answer questions. Thank you both for the very informative presentation and for the work that you do. It's really great to be in partnership with you. Um, I have some questions myself, but first I'll turn it over to my colleagues, um, Director Koenig and then Director Rotkin. Thank you. Very intriguing presentation. Um, so I gave a, a transit town hall the other day and talked about all these great hydrogen buses that we were ordering. The first question that came up from the public was, well, didn't the, wasn't the Hindenburg, uh, you know, hydrogen runs system, like, didn't we end one because of hydrogen? So, like, I figured the technology's got to come a ways and be safer, but can you, like, describe how and why? First of all, we, we well, thought the Hindenburg story, which was in the 30s, is forgotten, but it was resurfacing. And by, and by the way, hydrogen goes up. It, it, it accelerates without being under pressure at 40 miles an hour. Uh, so when that fire happened, it was ignited by the Germans used a metallic-based uh, paint to cover the dirigible, and static electricity ignited it wasn't ignited by hydrogen, and all the scenes of uh, the the you know fire uh, uh, dropping below from the material that was on fire was not hydrogen. Hydrogen was going up, but but the more important question is the safety of, of hydrogen. And look, it's a fuel. It's explosive, just like CNG that you have on site and other uh, uh, you know vehicle uh, fuel technologies. Uh, but we have virtually had no issues. I mean, AC Transit has millions of miles, uh, carrying many millions of passengers. Uh, but worldwide, I showed that slide of hydrogen uh, deployments uh, worldwide. And hydrogen as a, as a, as a resource is used in industrial applications and the like. But at the end of the day, things do happen, right? I mean, we can look at CNG fires, diesel fires, battery electric fires. The bottom line is uh, it's a lot safer than the devil that we know and the devil that we're, we're accustomed to that you, we're driving around uh, presently. So uh, we don't see it a, a real issue. You do have to plan for it. And I will say this, and I was at AC Transit when, we, uh, when I built the program and we did have a fire there at the station in Emeryville. And that station did exactly as it was designed to do. There was really no impact on any of the equipment or any of the, the, the workers or, or individuals. Uh, three months after that fire, virtually no damage to the station. There was a, a fire at a gasoline station up in Martinez where everything got torched and destroyed. There's no carbon in hydrogen, so the heat doesn't uh, dissipate outwards that can create other problems. So, yeah, I mean, yes. Right. So, I mean, and, and the Titanic was a boat. 
Yeah, so we're not fair enough. I mean, so is it is it fair to say that like it's at least you know it's no more flammable than natural gas or yeah, and it has different properties. Uh, has a wider uh, 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 what they call a wider range where it can ignite, but it needs oxygen to make that possible, and it expands in an open air environment. It's actually a lot safer. Uh, CNG still is much heavier and it can stay low and you can, yeah. Yeah, and so you can have problems with ignition. Uh, liquid hydrogen doesn't require, there's no toxic uh, aspects to hydrogen, so it doesn't pool and it can't create a uh, environmental problem like the other fuels can. Uh, great, a uh, couple other questions. Uh, you mentioned a target of $2 uh, Produced hydrogen per, per kilogram and $5 um, uh, by the end of the project. Can you remind me what the end of the project we're shooting for, Well, we're shooting for 2030 um, uh, to get everything uh, operational and then we'll run it with the DOE funds for a couple of years. So, somewhere in that time frame, 2030. And we also know that as you expand your fleet, uh, you, you, you need help with this. I mean, your biggest challenge is not the capital side necessarily because you get a lot of FDA money. It's the operational costs. And Michael doesn't want a whole fleet of buses that cost them three, four times more in fuel costs. So we're looking with the governor's office on how to reduce that price in the initial stages as the volumes grow and the price to market uh, demand drops uh, over time. So, um, you talked a little bit about production of hydrogen uh, and the opportunities for biohydrogen. We certainly have enough, uh, you know, extra fuel or fuel management that we're doing for the forest. How, can you explain a little bit more how that work process works? I'm not an expert enough in the in the process, but we have we have companies that are actively doing it that will be doing more. Yeah, but that, so that's exactly the point. They say they have plenty of feedstock. Yeah, <laughs> you can use the eucalyptus. That would be great. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, okay, the last question, also related to production. Um, one of the most exciting and encouraging articles I read recently was in Nature about the fact that uh, the planet actually produces hydrogen. We didn't kind of really been aware of. Uh, I think when water seeps down and hits, you know, a hot part of the core and actually gets olivine and turns into serpentine. Is there any exploration for like sources of natural hydrogen in California or is that, that factored at all into your plan? I haven't heard about that. That's kind of like fusion. Uh, it's out there, but it's not practical right now. And and honestly, the, the most practical affordable source of hydrogen is reforming natural gas or biogas. That's not, now, there's still a significant reduction in well-to-wheel greenhouse gas emissions, upwards of 40 to 50%, but it's not ultimately where we have to be. I mean, we can't, we can't transfer what we per currently are using that is causing damage to the planet with something that is still not going to solve the planet's problems. So, but, but the fuel cell is agnostic to where the fuel comes from. So as we can get to greener solutions, which is what Arches is focused on, uh, it doesn't require technology uh, adjustment with, with your vehicles. You can take advantage of that, advantage of that uh, cleaner, greener source as, as time goes on. There are 
actually, it's worth mentioning too. There are lots of research projects looking at uh, lots of promising technologies. We're focused on things that we think are highly likely to work in the time frame of the DOE project. And they specifically said they don't want to fund research. They want to fund things that are, they're all about low risk. They want to make this happen. They want to make sure it works. There, there is a lot of promising research out there. And in fact, uh, uh, Jamie mentioned uh, the, the um, efficiency of the fuel cells. He's talking about fuel cells that exist right now. There is uh, laboratory research on fuel cells that are getting much higher efficiency than the 65% or so that he mentioned. I think that the, there's research on fuel cells that are getting in the 80s right yeah. now, um, but you can't buy those yet. But by the, by the time the project is done, I wouldn't be surprised if we're seeing efficiencies in the 80s. And, and, and the ARCHES program, which was very impressive to the Department of Energy, has carefully evaluated with suppliers in the process of being able to really deliver on this green sourcing and much of it from solar and wind using available water resources. You know, here in California, we're drought state, but for instance, that plug power project is using wastewater uh, from Fresno. And we do have, there is a lot of water that doesn't get utilized properly. Uh, so. So all that's being factored into a project, a program, much bigger than a project, a program that will deliver uh, the ultimate goals that we're all seeking. All right. Thanks. I appreciate the message that we are leaders, but not alone by any means. No, yeah. yeah. um, I'll go to Director Rotkin and then back to you, Director. Oh, okay. Director McPherson. I'm just uh, impressed. Uh, I think that you're, you're giving a, a realistic timeline. Some of these things have been thrown out there and energy independence and inclusive procedure that you're going through is very, very impressive. Uh, that's what I, I think it, it sounds like this could be a done on your timeline that you put out there, which is questionable otherwise. But uh, there's one couple phrases there, two terms you use is uh, objective and unbiased, and if you can do that in this political atmosphere that we have in this stage today, my hat's off to you. I have to comment on this. Uh, I think it was mentioned by Wanda Mo. I've been working on fuel cell technology for 24 years now. I have gone through four cycles of, oh, within five years, it's going to be commercial. But the, and, and that was the expectation early on. But the reality is we are at a tipping point now. When we can see like AC Transit, which has now 30 fuel cell buses and they're getting 80 to 85% uptime, which is what the target is in transit. Uh, and they're working reliably and the drivers love them. I mean, the public loves zero emission, but the, the drivers like them and the technicians like them. Uh, then we're there. We're getting there. There's still improvements to be made. Uh, we still have challenges on the hydrogen side, but it is evolving very quickly and we're at that tipping point. And as I said, these other transit agencies are really taking this on and you, you are indeed leaders in this effort, but not alone. It is, it is one of the reasons that the university is involved because we don't really have a dog in this fight. We win if the state wins and if the people of California win. Otherwise, I mean, we certainly want to get the university to carbon neutrality, um, but it's for the same reason that the 
that you all want to get there and that the people of California want to get there. We don't, we don't need in any other way. Um, we certainly don't have any profit motive. Um, it was interesting that the uh, DOE asked us a strange question. They, they asked us lots of questions about viability. But one of the questions they asked us was, how can a nonprofit do this? How can a nonprofit be effective? We don't really understand. <laughs> and we said, how can a for-profit do it? That was kind of our response. We, you know, we said, we have no incentive other than to be effective and make this work. Uh, you know, we, we, we don't understand how a for-profit can be trusted to do it. Two comments or questions. Uh, the first, we've all been aware of uh, the potential for reduced maintenance costs as we move toward whether it's fuel cell or battery. But we really haven't seen anything in those figures. I wonder, Jamie, if you come across anything of that? It's a good question. NREL's tracked carefully. AC Transit now, and they put out a, a report with Stanford University that's every six months thereabouts, and they are tracking labor costs. Uh, it's still not where we want it to be. Uh, electric vehicles, electric components have long life uh, to them. They're a lot simpler than an internal combustion engine. And you add a fuel cell, and a hydrogen storage, there's more. And hydrogen storage is pretty straightforward. They're long life, not a lot of maintenance on that. The fuel cells are proving to also be very durable and the like. Uh, but the expectation is that we'll be less costly on a maintenance uh, standpoint. But with any new technology, once you, you're, you're training your staff, there's a lot of labor that goes into training and understanding. And we just had a meeting uh, yesterday with what's happening, the, the, the new buses that you will get if you move forward are utilizing another generation of fuel cell from Ballard called the FC Move, and it's a lot less spaghetti in there. If you have a five cent part, but it takes, you know, to replace, but it takes three hours to get everything detached and get in there, that doesn't work for your maintenance operation. So that's all being addressed. So we are getting there. The curves are going in the right direction. Right. The second thing I wanted to mention was I was happy to see the biogas, biogenic uh, kinds of sources for hydrogen. An old colleague of ours, Wendell Brazi, used to bring up the concept of biogas um, collection from feedlots in the Central Valley as a way of capturing what is otherwise a methane source for global warming. Uh, let's grab that gas. And it appears from the charts or the images you show that that could be part of a uh, combination of carbon sequestration breaking the hydrogen out, even if it's a natural gas source of methane. And that's where you get the negative CI yeah. that uh, Scott referenced, right? Although I will tell you, there are some groups out there that want and there may be some good health reasons for this to reduce our dairy intake and, 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 and the consumption of meat. And that probably is something we put in the long term. But you can't expect everyone to change overnight. So solar and wind are really still very important key production uh, components to hydrogen. And green. Yes. 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 Thanks. Yeah, we don't we don't currently have any feedlot based production in our in our uh, uh, network, specifically because of community opposition. They they hate them. Just really quickly, in support of this notion that it's difficult to repair 
even if the part's cheap that you're trying to get in there, so it makes a difference. Check out what's happening on Tesla, where they didn't design these cars to be fixed. They just assumed they were going to like, you know, last without any problem. And a simple little thing like fixing a headlight or cracking the windshield, four thousand dollars to replace the windshield. Wow. And, and uh, you know, because cameras in there and everything else, it's not designed to be taken apart. Offline, I could tell you a number of other stories. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad I don't have a Tesla. <laughs> um, other questions or comments by directors? Okay, well, thank you both so much. You know, we've been, we've been celebrating um, the, the grant awards that we've been getting and the hydrogen buses that are coming our way, and to see that we are this fractal of this larger constellation, an important fractal, it just, it puts it really into perspective and the context has been really helpful. So thank you again for being here and the work that you do and for the partnership. Well, and let me thank you for a really great staff. We, uh, you know, CTE, several of my colleagues are working with Michael and, and Wanda Mu and, and Margo, and uh, you have some really good people here. and. We're looking forward because CTE is going to be under contract with Arches to support this effort as it plays out. And we're involved in some other things as well. But we really like working with Santa Cruz. It's, it's great. We're happy. Thank you. Thank you for acknowledging the staff and the drivers that you said are the yeah. point. I have a Class B license. I've driven all this, but I can respect that fully. Uh, absolutely. Thanks so much for the chance to talk with you. Thank you, Dan. Thank you. Bye -bye. Hey, wonderful. All right.